Yeah, well, we're going to talk about that in just a second, but I first want to welcome you all to Easter at Infused Church. So great to have you. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Taylor. I'm one of the pastors here, uh, and thank you for all of you joining us online as well from around Iowa, from around the United States. It's really great to have you here on an exciting day, uh, especially if it's your first time here. A little bit about to like introduce me so we know each other a little bit better, even though this is only like a one-way communication style. You can talk to me after, but like right now, I'm, I'm the only one that has a mic. This is my family. Um, and my wife, Stephanie, who's also a phenomenal preacher, and you can hear how good she is next week um, and in this new series about happiness. And then we have four, uh, four, three, oh, geez, no announcements, oh, okay, stop it. If I, no announcement, nope. Don't go down, some of you are going to go down to the kids area where Steph is and be like, oh, Taylor made an announcement. I did not make any announcements. We only have three. It was a short night. Let's just say that there was a lot of vomiting, okay? I'm not asking for your pity. I'm just saying it was a short night, okay? And it always is the night that's a big Easter. Okay, anyways. All right, so my children, we're talking about the three children that I have. No fourth, just three. Focus. Okay. I'm talking to myself. Uh, Elia is our four-year-old, then the second is Everly, and then the youngest is baby Easton. Now, Elia, a four-year-old, is entered into this phase, which all of you are familiar with. You've seen it in movies. You've experienced it personally. It is the why daddy phase. Why does this happen? What's going on here? I want to understand the world better. And I love the curiosity. I love the desire to understand how the world works and push the limits and, and figure out what seems so, um, you know, weird and mysterious. And, and I love that. Um, but it's also really difficult. And I'm trying to be a great dad. You know, I, I, most of the times I can actually get my children's birthdays correctly. Unlike some fathers, uh, some days I, you know, get a date or two mixed up, but for the most part, I'm pretty good. Um, and I want to help feed into that curiosity. Um, but this is a really difficult question. It's a respectable question, but it's a difficult question because there's always a follow-up question to why this. And the follow-up question is, why? You know, it's like, why this? Why this? Why this? And, you know, continue to explain it. And the more whys you get into something, the deeper and more complicated it gets to the point at which as a parent, you start to get a little stressed out. And so sometimes I, as a good, loving father, have chosen to engage with the question, why, with ultimate truth. Just rip the Band-Aid off, look her dead in the eyes, and tell her how it is. So when she asked me, like, uh, I think it was last week or something, I think I was like cooking a hot dog for her. Um, she said, Daddy, why do we have to cook the food? And I looked her straight in the eyes and I said, E. coli. Just tell her how it is, because that's the loving father that I am. When she asked me, hey, daddy, why does mommy have to go to work? I look her dead in the eyes and I say, because daddy's a pastor and somebody has to pay the bills. <laughs> when she asks me, why do I have to take a nap? Because we're also into that phase. Why do I have to nap? I don't want a nap. Why do I got a nap? I just look her in the eyes and I say, because mommy and daddy need a break. Just kidding, I don't do that. Some of you are like, does he really do that? No, I don't do that. I give her the, you know, the four-year-old answer to these questions. But I love the question. I love why. And as adults, we should love why too. 
I think for a lot of us adults, we are still curious about the world. We still want to ask why. But I've noticed as I've gotten older, and I think as a lot of us get older, we tend not to ask the question a lot. Why does this work? What's behind this? Um, And then even when we do ask why, I've, I've found that we tend to ignore the answer to the question. We want to know, but then we don't listen. You know, why do I have to drive the speed limit? Well, it's more economical for fuel, and it's safer for you and everybody else. But do we ignore the answer? 100%. Some of us have road rage issues, as was mentioned prior to. Um, and, and we have these answers, and we know what we should do and what we could do. I bet even if you think about your last week or so, I bet you could think of a couple of situations, if not a few dozen situations, where you knew why, but you chose not to do the answer. You chose to ignore the answer. And if you ignore it enough, or if it's a big enough why, then it comes to the point where, you know, you get in an accident because you were speeding, or you get a ticket because you were speeding, you didn't listen, or you get into trouble, or, um, you know, you get E. coli or something, right? If you want to live on the edge and not cook your food, you know, there's a reason why. Why is an important thing to understand the world, to understand how it works, to get at the truth of what's going on around us and in our, in our hearts and in our minds? Why can be a very powerful question. So today, I want to ask one question, and it is a why question. And the reason I want to ask this question is because I think by the end, it's going to be, it's going to be intense, but by the end, I hope you will have maybe a window into why your, your world and to your relationships and my world and my relationships sometimes work the way that they do. Because through why, we're going to get, I hope, a little bit closer to truth. And here's the question that we're going to ask today. Why Easter? Why Easter? Why does Easter matter? Because let's be fair. Some of the reason that you showed up today is because, well, you knew you should have. You're supposed to. It's the right thing to do, to check the box so that when mom or dad call later, you know, you can tell them, yes, mom, yes, dad, I went to church today. And they're like, thank goodness he's not going to hell yet. Something like that. That's what they're thinking. You know it. You know, let's just be honest about it. Anyways, I'm joking. I'm joking. It's going to be okay. Um, Yeah, but, you know, you, you want to, you know, just get through it, okay? And that's, let's be fair, one of the reasons why most of us come to church. Others of us have come to church today because, well, the rest of our family came to church, and so that's just the polite thing to do because we're here visiting. Some of you kind of felt drugged to church today. Some of you, um, you know, you have uh, some healthy skepticism about church, about Christians in general, about God, and so you're here just kind of tuning out, just kind of making it through it, but I would encourage you not to because I'm not going to, you always have the freedom to believe what you want to believe. I can't make you do anything you don't want to do, but at least, hey, you're here. Why not make the most of it? So let's ask the question, why are we even here? Why Easter? Why does it matter? And for some of you, you're here today because you're a sold out Jesus follower, and this is the most exciting day of the year because he has risen, and you're used to saying, he has risen indeed. That's the church I grew up in. You know, the pastor got up here, and he has risen, and then everybody went, yeah, it's about like that. It's like, oh, I don't know, okay? And I'm not sure, you know, but I'm here, so yeah, he's risen. I don't know. Um, but anyways, yeah, because you're excited as a Christian, you know, Jesus defeated death, and it's really exciting, so you're like, amen. But it's so much bigger than all of that. And that's why I want to ask the question, why 
Easter? Because part of you wonders, why am I really here? Because you just always do what you've always done, and generally it's to go to church on Easter. And that's okay, but what if there's more? So I want to answer the question now, and I don't want you to tune out because this is a little bit intimidating. In fact, for the next few minutes, it's going to be a little intimidating. But this is the moment where we kind of peel off the Band-Aid when I look at my daughter and I just tell her the straight-up truth. And sometimes the truth is a little overwhelming, okay? But it is worth exploring, okay? It's worth exploring if we want to get to the truth. So why Easter? Here's why Easter. Death defines us more than we realize, a little intense. Death defines us, defines our lives more than we realize. Most of us hope to define death ourselves. You know, we try to find workarounds around death to avoid it, to, to believe we're going to live forever. And the reality is we know that everybody has to face it one point or another. I want to introduce this concept of how death defines us by reading to you the start of the Easter story, according to John. John was one of Jesus' closest followers. Uh, he had a very unique relationship to Jesus. He was, there was the 12 disciples that most of us have heard about, and then there was three that were really close, and John was one of them. And you'll see why John thought he was one of them, because he like literally comes out and says it. So what I want to do is I want to read. We're going to read from John 20. Um, you don't have to follow along. I just want you to hear it. I just want you to imagine the scene playing out in your mind as I read it. To set the backstory, especially if you've been away from church for a long time or never been in church. At this point in the story, like pre-Easter, you know, like a few days ago, what occurred was Jesus came into Jerusalem. The religious leaders didn't like who Jesus was, didn't like who Jesus claimed to be. Jesus claimed to be the son of God. He, came to, he claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life. He claimed to be able to die and rise again. He performed amazing miracles. And the religious leaders, shocker, religious leaders felt threatened. And so they just tried to eliminate him. And they were successful. They got the Roman Empire to put him up on a cross, crucify him, and everybody saw that he died. And some of his closest friends took him and they put him in a tomb and rolled a stone in front so that his body couldn't be taken so nobody could claim some funny business or anything like that. They put some guards out front of the tomb. And that's Friday. And nothing happened Saturday. And then Sunday morning, because of Passover, as a, Jew, a good Jewish person, you don't go out on Passover. Um, I, with uh, my uncle-in-law, drove accidentally through um, the uh, very conservative Jewish quarter in Jerusalem uh, during um, uh, uh, Shabbat or Saturday, and uh, there was a lot of yelling at our car. You don't go out, you don't drive, you just stay indoors. That's what a good Jewish person's supposed to do. And so everybody was indoors at this point. And then Sunday morning, light comes out, and Mary Magdalene, came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone had already been removed from the tomb. So freaking out, because who in the world has moved the stone? What's happened inside this tomb? She runs back and finds Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, which is John. So John kind of talks himself up. He never calls himself John. He calls himself the disciple that Jesus loved. She came to them and she said, they have taken the Lord... Oh, page. 
they have taken the Lord from the tomb, and we do not know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple left, and they were going to the tomb. And the two were running together. Side note John makes here. And the other disciple, whom Jesus loved, ran ahead faster than Peter. Come on, John. A little humility here, buddy. Nah, he's sad to say he was faster. This is his own account. So he's like, I'm faster than Peter. Just so the world knows, for the next 2,000 years, John's faster. And he came to the tomb first. And he, uh, and he stooped to look in. He didn't go in. He stooped to look in and saw the linen wrappings that would have wrapped the body lying there. However, he did not go in. So Simon Peter, huffing and puffing, coming up behind him, you know, also came following him. And he just blows by John. He's like, well, if John stops at the tomb, I'm going into the tomb. So I can say I was the first to the tomb because, you know, I'm trying to make up for my slowness. And he looked at the linen wrappings lying there. And the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lined with the linen wrappings, but folded up in a place by itself, to which that would have been really confusing because like what, you know, grave thief comes in and steals a body and is like, hey, I'm going to wrap the linens, for, I'm not going to wrap, I'm going to fold the linens like my mama taught me before I steal the body. But for whatever reason, very confusing, they're all nicely wrapped right there. Um... So the other disciple who first came in the tomb then entered into the tomb. John entered the tomb and he saw and believed. He saw and believed, but they didn't understand scripture that he must rise from the dead. What they believed was that his body was gone. They believed Mary. They believed Mary. And so what did they do at this point? Because at this point, nobody was expecting nobody. Everybody thought he was dead. Everybody thought his movement was over. Because if you go around claiming that you're the son of God, that you can do amazing miracles, but that you can die, you're probably not the son of God. And so at this point in everybody's mind, hey, they were friends. He was a great guy. He did some incredible things that we can't really explain. But at this point in the story, everybody thought it was over. They weren't expecting a resurrection. Even though Jesus said that's what was gonna happen, they didn't expect it. And they wrote that into the story. Think about this. Why would you have written yourself into the story? The disciple that Jesus loved, why wouldn't have John written himself into the story saying, no, no, I was there. I was there at sunrise because I knew Jesus was coming out. I was counting down to see the stone rolled away and Jesus come out because I was the best disciple. They didn't write it like that. They wrote it honestly like what happened. And they said, we didn't have faith. We didn't believe that Jesus would rise from the dead. Nobody expected no body. And so they didn't see a body. And so they left. They, they ran home. But not everybody left. John said that Mary Magdalene stood, oops, stood outside the tomb crying. And I know, ladies, this sounds like this couldn't be men, but just to contextualize this, crying woman at the entrance to the tomb, and what do the men do? They run home, leaving the woman to cry. I know, insensitive, I get it. Did you ever imagine men doing such a thing? Why was Mary there though? Why was Mary weeping at the entrance to the tomb? Death. Death. Because death is that defining. As much as we want to define death, death differently, we can't change it. It's final. It's definite. It's intimidating. It doesn't care how hard you worked in your job. It doesn't care how much money you have or things you have. 
It doesn't care the house you live in. It doesn't care the career that you have. The reality is we all face it. It's something we actually have all in common. It's something that you've seen other people face. You've seen other people face death, and it's difficult, isn't it? You don't define death. You can't change it. It's happening. And it feels crazy to live in a world like we do today where there's so much possibility. There's so much opportunity. There's so much incredible modern technology. It feels like we're on the cusp of defeating this thing ourselves, and yet it's more difficult than we realized. And it ultimately doesn't matter the progress we make because it's just so definite. The truth is, we're much like Mary because the closer and closer we get to death or we see other people or we get close to it with other people, the closer we get to the tomb, the more painful and afraid and concerned we become. When we're faced with our own mortality, which is what a tomb does, we see it on the news We see these images all the time on the news these days, and it's just, it's heartbreaking. What's so heartbreaking about these images on the news? Well, the death. The death weighs on us, especially when we see it in the lives of people that we love and our own family. And how do we respond to it? Respond with sadness. We respond to it with weeping, with tears, maybe not outwardly, but certainly inwardly. That brokenness burdens us, that brokenness burdens us. And I think if you kind of look inside, I think we could all agree that it just doesn't feel right. Death just doesn't feel like it's supposed to be a way of life. People will say, well, death helps us to appreciate life. You could appreciate life just fine with no death. It feels like we don't need it. And yet we find ourselves so often on the outside of the tomb crying because it's so definite. And it's not, just, it's not just when it comes to the end of our lives or the complete loss of life. It happens during our lives as well. Death is ever present in our lives. Think about relationships. Think about someone that you had a healthy relationship with in the past that you no longer do today. Does that weigh on you? I sit across from a lot of people and they tell me, oh no, I'm over it. Like, you're not over it. You don't get over it. You're trying to forget it. You're trying to shove that emotion down, but it's still there. Especially if they they have done something to you that hurts you. Maybe they lied to you. Think about that relationship. When you found out that they lied to you, would it be true to say that part of your relationship with them died? In other words, no matter how hard you try, no matter how hard they tried, and I want there to be reconciliation. I want you to have a healthy relationship again. But in the back of your mind, there's always gonna be a slight percent that says they could do it again. They could lie again. They could betray me again. That relationship will never be fully the same again. It'll never be 100% again. A little bit of it will always be lost. Why? Because that's what death does. 
You can't come back from it. It's gone forever. It's definite. Think of those fights. Think of those arguments that you've had. Think about those raised voices, those words that you, yell across, you yelled across the room. And afterwards, you didn't feel good. And they didn't feel good. Something died. That's what you were feeling. The pain. The desire to avoid the other person. Why did you want to avoid the other person? Because that's what we do. We want to avoid the death and the reason for that death in our lives. And in that moment, it was the other person. And it's even worse when you are the reason for that death, isn't it? It hurts you deeper because you know you could have done something, you should have done something differently, and it doesn't feel like you can come back from it anymore. And it wears on us. It's standing outside the tomb and it just is a reminder of nothing good, of sadness. What about injury? What about health issues? That injury that, you know what, you're honest with yourself. You're never gonna come back fully to 100% after that. Or that disease that's burdened you or burdened someone you loved and is reality you've dealt with. Now it's just a part of your body. The capability that you once had is now gone. And it's heartbreaking, isn't it? I'm not saying this so you feel bad. I'm saying this so you're recognizing what's happened. So you're recognizing the why. It's death. And it hurts. And it makes us hurt. There's death in our lives. Death to opportunity. Because we missed it. Death to momentum because we picked the wrong thing. Death to hope because we were so self-absorbed we couldn't see anything else and the hope disappeared in our self-absorption. The dreams that we once had are no longer there because the time for them has passed. And we know, and this hurts us, that we can't go back and get them back again. The time has passed and it's heavy. Just this past week, I was um, around someone that's struggling desperately with a health, health crisis. And I'm just telling you, they were sitting there and they were looking at their situation and they knew death was knocking. And yet, just a, f- a few hours into me being around them, they, the, the husband and wife, the husband is the one that's struggling, were in an argument. And I could see him. I couldn't hear what they were saying because I was indoors and they were outdoors. And I could see him yelling and pointing his finger and all this stuff and his, his brow furrowed. And he was so angry. And she's, you know, you could just see on the face this happens all the time. And I'm just sitting there and I'm like, death is knocking, yet you're choosing to ignore it. You're choosing to live the same way you've always lived, even though the truth is hitting you right in the face. And you're just so stubborn, stubborn to see the why of what's happening in your life. Because that's what we do. That's what you and I do. I'm not excluding myself. I'm a part of this. We ignore. We try desperately to ignore death, to ignore the reality of our lives. We ignore the broken relationships, those relationships that hurt us deep down. We ignore the death that's happening in our career path, how we treat other people. We ignore the fear that we feel. Because what's fear? Fear is just this prevention of us experiencing life at its fullest. It's death in our lives. We fear possible opportunity. We fear change. We fear truth. And so we avoid it. And in so doing, those opportunities shrink, shrivel, and die. We ignore the truth that we only have one life. I literally read a book. It was called One Life, and it was very convicting. Once you got past the fact that, hey, wow, that's kind of a morbid thought, and you start to realize, or actually you could look at it as very freeing, that I have one life, one chance to live, one impact. 
You have a choice of how to engage with it. And most of us ignore it. We say it's scary, we don't understand it, and so we stay away from it. But here's what you cannot miss. And if you've tuned out, if you're doing some laundry at home, stop for just a second, because this is so crucial. When you ignore death, you steal the power of Easter. When you ignore death, you ignore why Easter matters so much. That's why we miss the point of Easter because we miss the reality or we ignore the reality of death. Because Easter was the moment, the moment in history when all of death was defeated. The moment that death, permanent and defining for the first time in human history, became temporary. When injury and all of its consequences, disease and all of its consequences became temporary. When sin, the, the sin being when you miss the mark with God and others, when you don't love others as God intended you to do so. That's what sin is, when you miss the mark. It's an archery term. When you miss the mark, sin. What is the consequences of sin? Death. When those relationship deaths happen, when Easter happened, that death was conquered. That the sin that you've directed and others have directed at you and your neighbors and God was forgiven. It was the day when fear didn't have to have a hold on you anymore because nothing which you thought was definite was permanent. No more. Nothing else in the world, in our history, holds up to the power or compares to what Easter stands for. It's the moment when Jesus, fully man and fully God, died and rose again and then offered, and then offered that solution, that life to everyone else in the world. You read about Jesus' ministry, you go home and you read John, for example. You'll see time after time after time how Jesus' ministry was all about pushing death back. He healed relationships. He told people truth to get their lives back in order. He healed the sick to push back death. He healed hurting hearts. He fed the hungry. He cared for the poor. He brought the dead to life in everything that he did. He pushed back death and he brought life. Because we weren't, you're right. If you feel like death wasn't how it was meant to go, you're right. That's not how God created it to go. And today's the day we celebrate the opportunity to do something different. Today's the day that we can freely trust, lean on the love of God. Not rely on Christians, not rely on churches. And I love Christians, I love churches. We started a church, we started this church. I'm not against it, I'm just saying we fall short because of death, but he doesn't. And the reason we're here, the reason I'm here, is because I personally have experienced this life and I just wanna share it with all of you. I don't want you to face death and be afraid. I don't want it to hold you back in your life and your career and your future. And neither does God, and I hope you know that. I want you to know that. I want you to try or trust in that, that Jesus came not for you to serve him, but for him to serve you and to teach you about how to live your life so it brings you life as it was meant to be, 
and show you how much God loves you and how much you're forgiven through his death, but that death isn't the end. And he punctuated that with the resurrection. That in the midst of all the death in our world that just weighs you down, that depresses you when you're on social media, that depresses you when you're on the news, that depresses you when you get into that fight, that's not how it has to be. And that there is hope and that there is a possibility of a new world. And this new world is so well defined in the, in the last two chapters of the entire book of the Bible. In Revelation chapter 21, it talks about the new earth, new creation. And here's what it says. He, God, through Christ, will wipe every tear from their eyes. Why are you crying? Why are people crying? There will be no more death. People are crying because there's death. There's not going to be any more mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things, the death order of things are gone, and the new has come. Listen, listen for just a second. The moment Mary realized the implication of everything that Easter stood for. Listen for what she did and how she reacted to this moment. When she had said this, she turned around. She's at the tomb. She turned around, maybe to walk away. And who's she come face to face with? Jesus, standing there. And yet she did not even recognize him. Because nobody expected nobody, right? They didn't expect Jesus to come back. And so what did she think? She saw Jesus standing there and she thought he was the gardener. Understandable to me, I would have thought he was the gardener too. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Because there's no reason for you to weep anymore. Whom are you seeking? Because I'm right here. She said to him, sir, if you have carried him, Jesus, away, tell me where you put him and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, and this was the moment, it all came together for Mary, when Jesus said her name. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him, Rabboni, which means teacher, and Jesus said to her, stop clinging to me, for I have not ascended. Don't hold me back, Mary. We're just getting started. But go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to the Father and your Father and my God and your God. And Mary came. She went out and announced to everybody, the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he had said these things to her. What happened in Mary's mind? Light bulbs started going off. All the implications of everything that had happened. She was there when he died. She saw the spear go into his side and then put him in the tomb. And she saw him alive. And her life changed forever. So she does what? She goes and shares it with everybody else. Because she isn't ignoring death anymore. She isn't afraid of death anymore. What did Mary see? Mary didn't just see Jesus. She saw death defeated. She saw hope for relationships that were broken. She saw new life for her life today. She didn't see death as the end. She saw everlasting life as an opportunity for the future. And she wanted to share that with everyone. That everything Jesus taught and stood for was true. And he modeled it. And it was possible for her as well. And that's why Christians get so excited about Easter. That's why we say things like hallelujah or amen. Or in some Christian circles, yeehaw. 
Because this is a really big moment when you don't ignore the reality of death. Because think about this. What other solution is there? What other solution gives life everlasting? Not because you earned it, but because, simply because God loves you. Because you can't earn it. You don't deserve it. How do you earn life everlasting in this world? It wouldn't make sense. But because God loves you and he wants you to have it and he wants you to experience what he created you to experience, which is life everlasting, which is peace in this world. Because the other option is what? I mean, coming to terms with the fact that our lives, your life, all the lives of the people you love, all the amazing things in this world are just gonna pass away. They're of little value and consequence to the world, to history, to the universe. And when I say that, it makes you sad. It, it kind of is a depressing thought because that's not how it's meant to be because it doesn't feel right. You know it's not right. And I think that's the image of God in your heart that says it's not the way it was meant to be. Life is the way it was meant to be, not death. So don't ignore death for what it is so you can come to terms with the truth and the power that life is, that Jesus is and the solution that he brings. Because why does Easter matter? Why does Easter matter? Because your life matters. More specifically, because your life matters to God. And deep down, I think you know that. Because God doesn't want death in your life, in your relationships, in your purpose, and in your career path. Neither do you. So trust him to help you find that. Trust him to bring you home. Seek him out. That's why we have Sunday services, in part to worship and to celebrate and to be grateful to God. But we have Sunday services, not just on Easter, but every week, because we want to help bring life to you as it was meant to live. As, as you were meant to live and experience it. That's why we're gonna talk about happiness because God wants you to have joy. He wants you to experience peace in your life. And so we wanna help you to know that, to experience it and to trust him and in him find that. To experience freedom from death and instead experience hope in God in his love, in his peace, and maximize the fullness of life on this earth as it was created to be, not how our world has created it. That's why Jesus wants us to experience life so we can experience it to the fullest. And I don't know about you, but to me, that's worth it. And it has been worth it. And it's why I get up here every Sunday and I do the same thing over and over again because I want you to know it because it's changed my life and it can change yours if you choose to trust it. And I think it is so worth it because that's maybe the missing piece in your life that you've been missing for a long time. That's why you feel like you've never made it, that you've never reached the end because the end is God and life and until you do, you'll always feel like you're coming up short. You'll always feel like you're pushing back against death and death is encroaching on you. And Jesus says, no more. It doesn't have to be. I have risen and you can too. If you would, bow your heads and let's pray.
Heavenly Father, Lord, help us today of all days to first be honest with the hold, the grip, the chains that death has on our lives. Death has on the end of our life. The end of all the people that we love, their lives. To not ignore the reality, but confront it so we can find the solution. To not be afraid of it, so we can engage with it and find a solution that we can look at our relationships and the brokenness that we experience every day and that we're a part of contributing to every day and the brokenness and the harm and the hurt and the pain and the tears in our world today, confront it for what it is in all of its agony so we don't ignore it, but so we bring light to it. We seek out light, we seek out the hope that you gave us on Easter, that death doesn't define us. It doesn't have to define our relationships. It doesn't have to define our hearts and our minds, but you define it. Life everlasting, life in you through Christ. That Easter was the day that death became temporary. That everything Jesus taught us and how to live and what to value and what to decide and how to treat other people is true and is life-giving because he is the man who defeats death throughout his ministry and in his resurrection. And that in him and only in him, not because we're exclusive, but just because it's true, because we wanna be honest, because you're the reason why. And in him, we can experience life. With you, we can experience life because that's how you created us, to be with you. From the beginning, we are meant to be with you and we push back against that, we avoid that. But in doing so, we push ourselves further and further into the harm and the pain of the world and we don't have to do that anymore. We can be free from our shame and our guilt and our suffering and all that's held us back and we can repent. And what repentance means is to choose a new path and today is a great day to choose a new path. A path that doesn't lead to the end, but leads to the beginning. Leads to where we were meant to be, into the arms of a Father in heaven who loves us, who cares so deeply about us. He forgives all of our transgressions, forgives us all of our harm, and draws us to truth and to grace and to joy and to peace that we know is where we're meant to be. That in our hearts of hearts is where we're meant to be. So Lord, help us to let go of the old and embrace the new, to embrace you, to embrace your son and the truth that he brought us on Easter. Lord, we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.